0: I've had the privilege pretty much all of my life of kind of growing up around water. You know, actually back before the the, the pre-memory stage of life, you know, we all have those, right? Uh, my grandparents owned a, a small little sea-going boat, about a 30-footer or something like that. And uh, then shortly thereafter, once my brother fell overboard and almost drowned, they decided they'd buy something on a lake, and so they bought a place up in southern New Hampshire. So from my earliest Memories. I can remember spending virtually every non-frozen mor- uh, weekend in New Hampshire, uh, being on the lake, and you know. It, and then my parents, they, the place eventually became theirs, and and then then they bought a place on the water in Florida, and so we were down around the water there. And then they bought another place in New Hampshire that's on the water, and so. One of the things you do, at least in the Davidson family, if you're around the water a lot, that means you're around motorboats a lot. Because our philosophy is if it doesn't have a motor, it's not fun. All right? So no canoes, no kayaks, no sailboats, that kind of stuff. Got to have a motor, you know? So we were around motorboats all the time. You know, that we had one little, I remember we had, when I was a little, little kid, I mean, there was like this 18-foot wooden boat with a five-horsepower on the back. It would barely move when you turned it on. Turned and got it going. But you know, originally it was just little boats, like a 16-footer with a 40-horsepower on it that we used to tube and ski behind. And then it kind of got a little bigger along the way. But somewhere along the lines, my parents it's probably more my mother's idea than my father's—but he went along with it. They decided to buy a 37-foot cabin cruiser. So, which is that—that's a good-sized boat. You know, you go from something that, you know, it's got a single engine, you know, whether it's an inboard out or whatever, to one that when it's at low speed, you don't steer it with a steering wheel. You steal it with you steer it with the propellers. You know, you, you back it up, you turn it, you do all that kind of stuff. Using the gear shifts, not the th- it's a big difference when the the steering wheel is ten feet high, you know, up in the top upper deck kind of thing, it's it's a big difference. Well, Shortly after they got it, I don't know, it was mid, mid to late '90s or something. Christina and I had been back in New England for probably the better part of a decade, maybe not quite that long. The boys were old enough to be running around and that kind of stuff. We went out on a, on a Saturday um, from Portsmouth. They used to uh, keep it in a marina just to the east of the big I-95 bridge that goes from New Hampshire into Maine. And we came, we used to come up the Piscataway River and then out to the out to the, to, the, to the ocean and go various places and et cetera. I was glad I wasn't paying for the gas because it sucked it down really fast, you know, that kind of idea. So we take off. It's a beautiful day. We're on board. My parents are on board. My brother's on board. And we get underneath the bridge. We're actually emerging pretty close to the ocean, and we run into a fog bank. And wh- when, when I say a fog bank, I mean you couldn't see more than 20 to 30 feet in front of you. I mean, or to the side of you or behind you. It was just this heavy-duty fog bank. Now, I got to tell you, when you're driving a 37-footer, which I wasn't, I, was let, I didn't want to get blamed for hitting something. So I, I was down front, and I was looking, and you know, you're, you're blowing a horn every 90 seconds or whatever it is you're supposed to be doing to let people know you're coming and you're supposed to be able to hear them and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, we, I remember they, they, they turned up the ping on the radar. So that you could try to see the buoys that were in, that marked the channel, right? And and so I'm out in the front, listening, looking and et cetera, and and every single time a buoy would come into view, it was a sense of relief, like it's not a rock, yes, you know, <laughs> kinda of idea. And and so they're trying to mark the channel, kinda of going from one to the other as, as we're going out, and so we and, and, and it must have been like that. I mean, we're barely crawling, it must have been like a, a, a half mile wide fog bank, because on the far end of it, as we kind of went from one to another, and we, we passed one boat. It was a tugboat coming back in, you know, which was scary enough to see this thing emerge in the fog, you know, right in front of you kind of idea. We finally emerged out the other side, and it was clear sailing. We had a great ride that day, whatever, but, but I tell you, there, there's just something that brings a sense of assurance and a sense of relief. When you're caught in the midst of a fog bank, to be able to see a buoy to know, you know what, I'm I'm in the right place. I'm still in the channel. You know, and that thought stuck with me a lot because one of the concepts that I often try to use in my own spiritual journey is is looking at spiritual markers. You know, and we've been talking about change a lot recently, haven't we? I mean, Easter was all about the reason why we can, why we should change. I tell you what, if you haven't figured this out yet, God's constant agenda for you is to change. God's constant agenda for you is to change. God is continuing to work in you for his will and good pleasure. He's trying to complete the work that he started in you. God is constantly at work in you and in me to change us. One of the biggest struggles we have spiritually at times is that we're we're kind of like, God, I'm done with change. Just leave me alone for a while. And then we wonder why our relationship with God isn't the same anymore. It's because God is always out to change us. But life has this ability to somehow just kind of cover us in a fog where it's really hard to tell which way we're going, right? I mean, you just, somebody told me on the way, way out, I said, how you been? And he said, just really busy. And I, I said, well, what's up? He said, well, just the candles have kind of burnt all the way to the middle. <laughs> you know." And it just, you know, we, we have the sense that we can just get Life can be so busy. We start Monday morning. Next thing we know, it's it's Saturday morning. You know, the week just kind of flies by and And we're like, well, what? And, and it's really hard to tell whether or not we are changing in the way that God wants us to change. If we are actually on a journey of change, we can kind of get disoriented in all of the fog. And so what I want to do is, is we, you know, we've, we've looked at the fact that we can and should change. That's what Easter's all about. God has now given us new life in Christ, and we're supposed to live out that new life as we've gone forward. We've talked about some of the foundations of change. If you and I are going to structurally allow God to shift some things in us, we understand we have to have a new agenda. We need to start playing to a new audience, and we need to have a new ambition. And we looked at those things last week. Beginning next week, we're going to start looking at some of the process of change. How is it that you and I actually engage in the ongoing evolution of what God wants to do in shaping himself within us? And we're going to be looking at things like awakenings, these moments where we recognize God speaking, guiding, teaching, calling us. We're going to be talking about our response to that in the area of honesty. And then we're going to talk about the actions that need to flow from that as we move through this all together. But today, I I, I want to kind of stop and just plant right in the middle and say, You know, How is it in the midst of everything that life has to do, from your kid being sick in the middle of the night to the deadline at work and to the fact that your tractor won't start and the grass is starting to grow and all this other kinds of stuff that goes on in our lives, how is it that you and I, are are there some markers that can tell us that we're still in the channel of God shaping us into the person He wants us to be in Christ? And I want to offer you several of those today. And The text I want to use is from 2 Peter chapter 1. I'd love for you to turn your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 1032. If you're, if you're using your own Bible and you're not sure where 2 Peter is, just get to the, all the way to the end of the Bible. Get to the book of Revelation and just back up a few books and you'll come to 2 Peter. Just, just a bit about what's going on before we read this because I think it's always helpful to kind of envision it. Peter, as he writes this book, is in prison. He's in prison in Rome. The Emperor Nero has put him there. And he tells us before this before the passage we're going to read this morning from chapter one is over, he got Jesus has told him said, This is it. Your days on the planet are over. You're going to die soon. And so he's in prison. He knows that his departure from the earthly world is about ready to happen. And he writes to these churches that we know of from, from uh first Peter that are in what is now modern day Turkey you know, in the north and to the northeast in modern-day Turkey, Pontius, Bithynia, Gle- Cappadocia, those kinds of places. We, we don't have any record of any apostle ever going there to plant churches. But what we do know is that people from those regions were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and they had an opportunity, potentially, to hear Peter preach the first time that a gospel had been proclaimed after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we, well, we, what we think happened, and this is just a think, isn't what the Bible tells us, but what I think is that people, from that experience, they came to know Christ in the day of Pentecost, they hung around Jerusalem, were nurtured, encouraged, and discipled some, they went back to their home areas eventually, and then they just, they led to sharing their faith, and churches got planted, and they continued to look to Peter, who was the preacher on that day as their spiritual leader, and so they had questions for him. And there's two things that he's really trying to address in these two books. And and it comes out again in this book. First of all, he's trying to prepare them for what's to come. Now, this is the way the Roman world worked, right? If the emperor, Nero, executes the apostle Peter, the message that's sent throughout the empire is, you kill Christian leaders, you move up the political pole. Right? So now they're going to look at, this, well, if, if killing Peter brings pleasure to the emperor, well, I'll just find the Christian leaders in my city, I'll execute them, make sure Rome knows about it, and with time, I'll move up the political ladder. So persecution is coming for the church. Peter knows it. He's trying to ready them for that. That's a very dominant theme in the first book. The other is that there was sneaking in the back door of the church was some kind of false teaching. Um There's always multiple ideas that run around. People have their own notions kind of idea, right? And it's been 35 years since Jesus died, It's the mid-60s. You know, so it's 35 years. And and in particular, in this area of the world, growing out of the Greek influence that was there, was this idea that, that our spirits and our bodies are separate. And with that, if a sign of a potential sign of spiritual maturity is that we can understand that that even though our spirits have been redeemed and set free by God because our bodies don't really matter, I can show how much I believe in God's grace by doing whatever I want with my body. And they were beginning to engage in license with their bodies. And so it was almost like your spirit can be godly, but your lifestyle doesn't have to be godly. That's what they were starting to teach. And Peter says, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. So this is how he writes to them, all right? I'm going to start with verse 1 of chapter 1. And I'm going to read down through the 15th verse, and then we'll, we'll draw some comments out here about some spiritual markers that we can look for in the channel of life as we're trying to sail through the, through the, the channel in the midst of the fog that can be created. So Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I, I wonder if you ever think of yourself that way. A slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours. In other words, these people were Gentiles, right? But now they have equal standing before God through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, because of what God's done. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of our Jesus, and of Jesus our Lord. Now, listen up first. His divine power has given us, everything except for what was backordered that's required for life. Or his divine power has given us most of the stuff required for life and godliness. Or for his divine power has given us, and the release date's going to be on July 1st, just look for it, you know, get pre-order. No, he's given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, in other words, from what he's done, his divine power, from his, this knowledge of him, by these he has given us very great and precious promises. He hasn't given us kind of okay promises. hasn't given us better than average things. He's given us great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, Escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. For this reason, eh, at least every Sunday, give some thought to supplementing your faith with goodness. For this reason, when you have the time, supplement your faith with goodness. For this reason, make every, not some, but every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So he's really emphasizing there how our faith, our knowledge of God, which releases our spirits to live in relationship with him, is supposed to permeate all of our lives and bring it so that our lives, what we do with our bodies, are reflective of what we believe about who God is and what he's done for us. For if these qualities are yours and increasing they will keep you from being a waste product. So that's my modern translation of the word useless, right? He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted. The person who it's just kind of think the person who lacks these things, they're, they're just thinking about this life. They're not really thinking about it. They're not thinking about what, what matters for eternity. They're only thinking about what matters for tomorrow. And The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and, and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers, make every effort. Those words again, those incredible words, ones we don't really like, right? Make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, entry into the current eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Even though you know them and are established in the truth, you have. In other words, I don't mind, and I'm going to keep on doing over and over. I'm going to tell you what you already know. Kind of sounds like the sermons you hear, right? They keep telling you the things that you already know. I consider it right as long as I am in this tent to wake you up with a reminder. In other words, as long as I'm still in this physical body, still here on the planet, this is what I'm going to do, knowing that I will soon lay aside my tent. Otherwise, I'm going to die as our Lord Jesus Christ has also shown me. And I will also make every effort that after my departure, you may be able to recall these things at any time. And that's part of the reason why he's writing. So you guys are going to have my written word so that even after I'm gone, I can keep speaking to you. Through the words that I have written. Now, it's an incredible passage, okay? And I and I wanna I wanna go back into this passage and say, you know, as you and I are sailing through life, right? And 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 life gets hard, it gets disorienting, whatever sometimes we can feel like we're in a fog, we don't know which way is the right way to go, which way is east, west, north and south. We get we get into all of that. What what how can I really tell that, that I am cooperating and in alignment with God's ongoing agenda to change me? Let me give you just a few things to think about from this text. Now, again, some of this is that my first point, some of it flows out of the fact that Peter is writing to guys who came to know Christ back on the day of Pentecost. Not all of them, but some of them. And and he himself has already been on this journey for 35 years, preaching and proclaiming. And in the midst of all of that, this is what he's still praying for you. He says, I'm praying that grace and peace is multiplied to you. I know you've experienced grace. I know you've got God's peace. But I'm praying it's multiplied to you, right? And then look in verse 3 and 4, all these words of abundance. He starts just, God has given us everything. I didn't say some things, I didn't say most things, I didn't say well, God's given us everything required for life and godliness, all right? And he's given us great and precious promises so that you and I can share in the divine nature and escape the world and its evil desires. He's using all these abundance things. And and here he, here's I think as you and I are, are as we get plunged into the fog bank, if you will, of life, the first buoy that we should see emerging in the fog to know, tell us that we're still on the right path is that you and I should just have this the sense of spiritual restlessness this insatiable hunger that there's more of God to be had and you're just not gonna let it go you, you know what I mean I mean what he's trying to say is I I know you came to know Christ in Jerusalem you know, and you could, you're living, and you're standing up, and you're trying to fight. All, I know all that stuff, but you know what? There's more. There's more, and I'm praying you're gonna know more. I'm praying that grace and peace is multiplied to you, that these great promises emerge as you know more and more, and you grow. There's just this is insatiable hunger. I, I refer to it as like a holy discontent. You know, it's where you're contented, but because you're you're just content in Christ, you're at peace. But in the midst of your contentment, you're discontent because you know there's more of Christ that you haven't experienced yet. And with that, you, you just have this, this spiritual restlessness where out of the spirit of peace and joy and strength and assurance and hope, to, the fact that you're kind of content where you are, you're, you're ready. to I'm ready for more. I'm ready for more of God. I'm ready for more of God. You know, and you know, I likened it in my own journey. It's, it's, it's a lot of the way that we should approach marriage, Right? It's, it's, it's in a place where we should, we should be perfectly, we, we should get to a place where we're really genuinely happy with our marriages. But in the midst of that, we should also want our marriages to keep getting better. You know, just, just getting better and getting better. Because if we don't want them to get better, guess what? They get stale. You know, and, and I tell you what, it's hard enough for Christina to live with me that if our marriages become stale it's going to be impossible for her to live with me you know so you just got to keep it for, and it's got you got to have the spiritual restlessness for, for more and more of God and you know this isn't just a notion that lies with the apostle peter i mean we, we talked about this last week in, in philippians chapter 3 where, you know paul says you know what listen i don't think that i've already gotten there i know what god's done i know what god's done in me i, I know all that kind of stuff i i'm i'm willing to be used But I want to tell you, I don't think I've attained anything yet. So I forget what lies behind, and I keep straining. I keep pressing. I keep working towards what God's calling me to so that I might receive the prize of the upward. He's just got spiritual restlessness. He wants to keep going. He wants more and more and more of Christ. And I got to tell you, that should be the first buoy that emerges in the fog. You know, you should be able to look back over the 6 months, 12 months, the last 24 months of your life and say, you know what, I just see a constant hunger to know more about God, to live more for God, to be more like God. We should just see that hunger in us. And if not, it's because we've gotten disoriented in the fog and we're off track. Here's a second buoy that should emerge in the fog as we're working through is whether or not we're really in alignment with God's agenda to change us. Look at verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort. You know, I, I wish sometimes they'd just write this stuff differently. You know, wouldn't it be just, you know, my, my motto for my yard, and some of you have heard me say this before, it doesn't have to look great. It just has to look like I'm trying, right? Wouldn't it have been a lot better if Peter had just written, for this really reason, just let it look like you're giving it a good college drive, right? You know, just, just you know, he says, no, but make every effort to supplement your faith. And he goes on, and, and I'm not going to walk through all these issues of goodness and knowledge and self-control and endurance and godliness and et cetera. But he's, he's literally talking about how our faith and what we believe and who we are now in Christ because of the cross and the resurrection and all of that stuff just emerges out in the way we live our lives and who we are and how we identify. It just kind of all becomes one big ball where we truly are godly and redeemed in and out of who we are. And yet he says you have to make every effort. And he comes back to it, not just, one. he comes back to it in verse 10, make every effort. Some of your translations use the word diligence. But you know what, If the second buoy that ought to emerge in the fog for us to tell us that we're still, still, still straight smack dab in the channel that God asked for us is that we ought to have an active, real, live strategy for growing in Christ present in our lives. We ought to have an aggressive growth strategy for our faith in our lives. It's not like, well, you know, I'll get around to it, whatever, or, you know, hey, I'll just throw a few things at the wall, maybe something will work, or whatever, you know. But we actually have a real, live strategy for growing in Christ. You know, some of you are like me. You, 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 you've downloaded onto your phone or to your tablet or iPad or whatever. Over this, you, You've downloaded all these exercise apps, right? You know, you can track how many miles you've run or walked and how many sit-ups you did and this, uh, what calories you ate and all that kind of stuff. You download all that stuff, and then you never use it, right? You know, just because having your Bible on the nightstand next to your bed is not a strategy for growth. Now, it can be a step in that church, but it's not what it is. Even just showing up for son- church three Sundays out of four or whatever is not a strategy for growth. You know, and, and there's probably lots of ways. We we understand as a church some key components to that, and part of that is your personal interaction with God. So we are constantly feeding you ways to be in the Scriptures individually and be in conversation with God. We're constantly giving you Bible reading plans and other kinds of things. We we think it's really Important to be together in worship like this, this large group celebration of the goodness of God and what he's done for us and the corporate challenge for us to walk more closely with God. We call that corporate worship, church worship services. That's a clear element we see as a part of that. Some of that is being in a small community, being together with other believers, studying the scriptures, speaking to each other's lives, encouraging others, being in relationship. That aspect of it, we do that through life groups and Sunday school classes. We also have the dimension where people meet in just groups of two or three or four, where they're encouraging one another, holding each other accountable, saying, I know you've got a growth strategy, but now tell me how you're actually living it out, you know, kind of idea. What are you doing with that? We, we should see all those pieces in a part of our lives, and you and I can tell if if we're sailing in the channel, in the midst of all the fog that life can bring, that we're in alignment with God's journey to grow us, if not only one, you know, we are, you know, I'm drawing a blank here. Look at that. See, I'm over 50. That happens to me now. I hate that, you know. Um, (laughs) You know, we, we, we have this insatiable appetite for more of God, and then with that we actually have a plan that we're executing to satisfy that hunger. Boy, forgetting that, that sounded pretty good. That's right, you know. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Now, I've got a couple more for you. All right, time's running away, so let me move quick. L- look what he says down here, picking up in verse 8 and 9. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, then you'll keep from being useless or unfruitful. Now, part of what that says to me is that there, way, there are ways for us as believers to live our lives in a way that just don't make a difference. And God doesn't want that. You know, what Jesus said was, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So here's here's another buoy. So out of this hunger for more and a plan to go get it that you're actually executing and doing and you're making progress in, the next buoy that should be in the channel is spiritual impact. You should be able to look in the wake behind you and see how God has used you in the lives of other people. You know what? Because this person knew me and the way that I ministered to them, their marriage got put back together. Or they they found a relationship with Christ. Or they were encouraged and they found a place where they could serve and minister. It can come in lots of different forms. But we ought to be able to look in the rearview mirror of our journey and say, this is how God's using me. And those memories shouldn't be 20 years old. They shouldn't be 10 years old. They shouldn't be 5 years old. Those ways should be in the last 3 to 6 months or whatever. Because God has not designed us to be useless. God has not designed us to be unfruitful. God wants to be glorified because he's worthy to be glorified. He wants our fruit to prove that, and you and I should be people who can look back through the tapes over our lessons and say, this is how God's been using me to be a blessing in the lives of other people. Whether it's from a way that you've served in a ministry, the way you've started a new ministry, where way you've encouraged someone, etc., you should be able to see that impact and that fruit in our lives. and. And so that's, that's another booty, uh, buoy that we can see in this journey as we're moving down the channel. Now, there's, there's one last one. And this, I tell you what, this gives me some comfort in verses 12 and forward. It says, you know what, I'm going to remind you about these things. Even though you know them and you're establishing the truth, I consider it right as long as I'm in this tent to wake you up with a reminder. You know, I've got to tell you, this month, at the end of the month, the last Sunday of this month, will be the 13th anniversary of our very first service. Some of you have been here for a lot of those services. Christina's been here for every single one of those services. You've been listening to me teach the scriptures, some of you for a decade or more. I know it gets hard because I I tell you what, there are times I I sit in my office and I'm praying. How can I say the same thing in a different way? You know, I mean, I'm, you ask that question with your kids, right? I, I'm just not getting through to them. Why are you know, How can I say that? How can I say? Because after a while, you just get tuned out. Somebody referred to it on their way out today It's like elevator music, right? You know, it's, you just hear it, but you don't even notice it. You know, after a while, you know what? Peter says, those of us who are on the process of change, we still get inspired by the stuff that we already know. And and the fourth. Spiritual buoy that I see in there is, is just the ability to recycle inspiration. You know, my wife is a huge recycler. I mean I recycle, but she, she recycles everything. We always have the biggest bundle of stuff out on the road <laughs> when, when the recycling trucks go by, you know and that kind of thing. If it's just too dirty, I'm not going to wash it up before I put it in. The, I forget it. It's going in the trash, you know? but, but we should have this ability to recycle inspiration that the things that God has done and remain done still inspire us to move forward in the Lord. You know, does the love of God still inspire you? You know, sometimes you think, you know, I, I, it's not a big deal if I go to church regularly because I've heard all that stuff before. i got to tell you, if you're in that kind of a place, you, you, you're in a dangerous place. Because i got to tell you, The old hymn of those who've heard the story seem to help me with the words, right? Yes, and are eager to hear it over and over and over again. See, it's always hard to have a a thought right on the moment, you know, when you're doing it. But there is this idea that that the the very thought of the incarnation of Christ for you should just it, it should just put a bounce in your spiritual step. The fact that Christ came and lived a perfect life among us, being one of us, and then offered him up, himself up through incredible suffering to be sacrificed for us, it ought to just charge your batteries to want to grow in Christ. The fact that Christ is, is not in the grave anymore, he's not here, he's risen. You know Why are you seeking the living one? That ought to just energize us, inspire us to what God can and wants to do within us. The ascension, the fact that Christ now is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's ready, willing, and able to speak to the Father and say, hey, let's help him do this great thing. Let, let's empower them to change. Let's help them be a blessing in this community. He, he's eager to do that stuff. It ought to energize us. The very fact that Christ is preparing to come back to be for us ought to, ought to be incredible inspiration if all that stuff has gotten to a place where it's been there, done that, got the T-shirt, what else do you got? We're struggling spiritually because those foundations are never going to go away. And you and I ought to be stirred when we're reminded of what God's done for us in Jesus Christ. When God's activity, his done complete, fulfilled foundational activity, still energizes our spiritual batteries, we're in a place where we're in the midst of a channel of change. For God in our lives, we're going to do something this morning just a little different than what we usually do. We've been hearing a lot about change, and we're getting ready to go into a special season. And you know, every once in a while, I think, I think it's just great for us to have a moment where we just draw a line in the sand and say, "Today, today's the day I make a decision, a choice. You know, it, it, you know choose today whom you're going to serve." Joshua said. You know, there was a moment where Isaiah had to say, "Here am I, send me." Sometimes it's just a moment of time. To say, "I." need to make a commitment. We're gonna invite you to make a commitment this morning. In just a few minutes, I'm gonna stand here at the front and and a couple of staff members will be here as well, Steve and, and Ken and and I am gonna invite you to come and either pray with one of them or, or pray with me or just pray here at, at, at this steps is, you know, kind of representing an altar where you're presenting stuff to the Lord. And I'm gonna ask you to make one of two commitments today. First commitment is this if if you've never made the commitment to be a follower of Jesus Christ before. I challenge you and invite you to make that commitment this morning. All that stuff about Jesus being born of a virgin, living a perfect life, dying on a cross, being resurrected on the third day, ascending into heaven, and, you know, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, all that stuff really means something. It means that you and I need a Savior. And if you have never experienced Christ as Savior this morning, I invite you to make that choice today. Make that commitment. Here's the second one, very broad. And you can can look through these markers and pick which one. I'm challenging all of us to make a commitment today to be a better follower of Christ. Which of these buoys can't you see in your journey? Do you really have a hunger and a thirst for more of God? You know, are you really seeing the spiritual impact from your life? Are you engaged in the ministries doing the things that can allow you to do that? Do, do you, do you re, are, are you really motivated and inspired by the things that God has done for you? Are you really working a strategy to grow or is it just kind of when you feel like it and it's haphazard? Which move, How do you need to make a commitment to be a better follower of So let's pray for just a moment and then we'll give you a moment to respond and then we'll conclude our time together this morning. Let's just pray. Father, we acknowledge today that you are always out to change us. That he who began a good work in us, being you, it's faithful, and will work to complete it. God, there's lots about the change that you bring into my life that I just love. There's parts of it better struggle for me. Maybe it's the same with many of us here today. God, the first change is to become a follower of Christ. And then it's the ongoing change of being a better follower of Christ. God, in these moments, we invite you just to, to speak to us clearly about what it is that we need to do in order to take next steps with you. And Father, I would offer the prayer for us, the same prayer that Samuel gave to you it was many decades and centuries ago. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, because your servants are listening. We pray in his name. Amen. Again, I invite